Welcome to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Thomas Risberg, and today on the show, I have the honor and pleasure of welcoming the president of the Great Falls Public Radio Association. He is also a retired Army lieutenant colonel and a longtime rancher, Richard Liebert. Welcome, Rich. Thanks. It's uh, always great to be in the studio with you, Thomas. Absolutely. And I just up front want to thank you. You've had a, a, an integral part in moving uh, the public radio from a paid station manager to an all-volunteer force. Uh, I've been watching you, and I participated in the board for a number of years. It has been uh, just a joy to watch how you've been able to bring this community together around public radio and to keep KGPR going as your local voice. Yeah, I appreciate that. And then there, there's many all-volunteer organizations in this town, like Montana Veterans Memorial. We don't have any paid volunteers or any paid employees for that. We never had since we built that memorial back in 2006. So it just shows you the heart of the people working at it. You don't always have to have a paid staff. You know, I mean, there, there are organizations that need those kind of staffs, and you're familiar with that. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think a theme that I want to center on, right, this is in, in part a Veterans Day episode, right? And we're going to talk about the Montana Veterans Memorial. Uh, but in general, I, I think our listeners can gain a, a sense of what it looks to live a life of service, uh, of being a citizen, being engaged in your community through a lot of your background. And so, I want to jump in and and have you give our, our listeners an understanding of what uh, has informed your values, why you have done the things that you've done throughout your life. And I do want to put that in a broader context that I talk about in every show, which is this culture of contempt that I see in the United States. And there's this just a desire to to see someone as the other, to look down on what they do with no understanding of what they've done in their life. It's simply based on a position that they hold uh, a little tweet you saw, or I guess that's X. I don't even know what you call them anymore. Right. But, and fundamentally we are seeing a conversation in our country emerge where you would think this is one of the, worst most hateful societies in the history of mankind and it couldn't be further from the truth by any objective measure and i think that we're drawing ourselves in as, as americans into a circular firing squad and i think telling people's stories is a way to really kind of step back from that and, and look at people as a whole and their values. And so that's what I want to do right now with you, Rich. You know, tell me a little bit, you know, where were you born? What were your early childhood experiences like? Uh, well, first I want to say, I think we all have to start with more empathy in our society as well. And then learn to, you know, appreciate what the other person is doing. What, you know, what kind of walk are they walking in their shoes? But I was, I was blessed. I was born in the wonder years out of the Eisenhower fifties. My, my uh, father was an engineer, he went to Purdue, and I went to Purdue, you can appreciate that, and my sister went to Purdue University, and, but I was born in Queens, New York, Astoria, Queens, to a German-American community, Lutheran, my mom was an excellent homemaker, uh, so a child of the 50s, growing up in the 60s, 
through that kind of culture, respect for uh, institutions, uh, you know, baptized a Lutheran, went through Boy Scouts. I remember carrying the Cub Scout flag for the pack. My mother was the, the den mother. This is like in, uh, when I was 10 years old, I was, I was out doing color guard, and I still do color guards and ceremonies at the Veterans Memorial, so I tell my mom, Mom, you're a great den mother, because we, we marched in the in Memorial Day parade. Well, that's what we had, I guess the weather's better for that back in New York when I grew up, but, but that's one of those, some of the memories I've had. Man, my, my civics come from my dad and my mom, but basically my dad was always involved in civics. He was the mayor of my hometown. In Garden City, New York, he was a, a trustee, and and that was the village of Garden City, and everybody who served on it wasn't paid. They didn't get a, they didn't get any per diem or nothing like the city commission gets here, but they had a unique system of government. They had four property associations, and people were elected from those property associations, and they were appointed as trustees. It was called a gentleman's agreement. It's probably a, one of the most unique forms of local civic government you can have in the United States. So everybody would take a turn. My dad was the public works guy for two years. He was an engineer, electrical engineer, very meticulous. And then uh, he was the mayor for two years and, and there was no like running for election. So it was a unique civic election system. I will tell you that is the first time I've ever heard that as a, a system of local governance. And, and totally nonpartisan, no politics involved. So I think that's what appealed to my father. Basically it was basically property owners nominated people who were in the community and then they took turns being trustees. There were eight trustees, and one of the trustees was mayor, but it was eight people, two from each of the property associations. So it was a unique form of government back in Long Island, New York. Absolutely. And so a couple of things that I want to really hone in on there that strike me is that you were raised in a pond. I, I use this analogy a lot, right, is that we are in large part of fish and water. We don't understand the networks, whether it's family, community that surround us, but that play through kind of osmosis. You don't notice it as you grow up, but play a foundational role in molding citizens, right? Good fathers, good mothers, good children, right? And we have lost, I think, as a society, an intentional focus on making sure that the, the waters that our children are swimming in and that we swim in, right, are conducive to building up uh, the, our future leaders, right, our, our future people that are going to live with a moral compass, with a commitment to service. And so something that, you know, we do at Alliance for Youth that's, that's just made me think of this is this campaign saw called Children See, Children Do. And it's about preventing, you know, child abuse. It's about preventing uh, endangering your children by drinking and driving with them in the car. But I think that we all need to take note of that. And it gets at the thread that you were pulling on initially around empathy, that w the way we live our lives in a day-to-day -day basis in ways that none of us can never understand, right? I mean, you think of that, you know, you throw the rock in the pond, right? And the ripples go out and you never really know how those affect the whole ecosystem. But I think it's no other way to do it than to be self-reflective, right? That I don't think there's anything that can come down from a government agency or, uh, you know, a social media influencer that's going to fundamentally shift the way that we interact and treat 
people. It's going to be individuals in our communities making a decision to change the way that they operate in the world and serve as an example. And and I think having known you now for a few years, I mean, I can just say that in everything you do, you're you're measured, you're you're solutions oriented. And and I'm getting a picture of of how that came about, right? How someone like you grows up and what that looks like. And I and I want to just continue on from there. So picking it up in your childhood, you have a father that's civically engaged, mom's the Cub Scout den leader, right. mm-hmm. service, citizenship are important. And then where do you go from, from there? Well, from there, uh, I went to Purdue and Purdue followed a degree in agriculture, general agriculture. And I got that uh, from mentoring on the ranch. I grew up on a cattle ranch every summer like from the 60s on, because my parents, uh, we always went out to Montana. My aunt was in the Air Force, came out to Malmstrom in the 50s, married a rancher. He was a widower, and then and that took me on the Queens, New York, <laughs> to Montana Trail. And I remember my mom said, just said, oh, yeah, we drove from Queens, New York, all the way to Montana in 1957 in an old, uh, in a Pontiac, and uh, no seatbelts, and no cell phones. Imagine driving from New York to Montana now, in 1957 and trying to find a little ranch south of Great Falls, Montana, but I, but that kind of that was my upbringing, and I we always came out here, and then finally said this is interesting, learn how to fix fence, ride horses, and do all these things, the summer work, and so that and then I I think I have the most merit badges for agriculture for a kid from Long Island, New York, <laughs> amongst all the c- scout councils in New York, is like animal husbandry, beef production. I think I got most of the Boy Scout agriculture merit badges. I, I was never here the whole year round to be in 4-H or FFA, but but uh, a few of my girls, they were able to get into 4-H and raise lambs and goats and things like that. So they were able to get involved in the rural side. But back to agriculture, I figured I also wanted a career in the Army. And I remember I went through an old junior high yearbook, ninth grade, said, what do you want to be, Libra? I want to be a, I want to be a rancher. I want to be an Army officer. So I fulfilled that. This ninth grade, I was just reading some some note out of my junior high yearbook and this year is my 50th high school reunion but I couldn't get there so I had to do it on zoom so but hopefully I can meet a few of my old comrades but but back to getting a commission out of Purdue I was totally focused on going into the army I served in the army four years from second lieutenant over in Germany got out as a captain uh, with the first cavalry division Fort Hood Texas now it's Fort Cavazos I think and then that was 1981. Then, then I met my wife in a bar in Queens, New York, and, and she loved the Western vision and things like that. And then I, and then I was inspired to re- rejoin the military, and I joined the Army National Guard, and then stayed with the military from 1982 all the way to 2005 when I finished as a uniform cur- lieutenant colonel, and then I did another 10 years as an Army training contractor, going from Korea to Germany all over the United States, everywhere, to train to train soldiers going over to do exercises, or not exercise, actually deploying to the Middle East, Iraq. So my great follow-up then that I really am looking forward to hearing your answer to, from your time early on in the military, right? So that'd be Vietnam era, right? Well, I, I went in and I graduated in 73, so I was at the right, tail end of tail end of the Vietnam draft age and we were starting to go right into the volunteer military what has your 
impression, or I guess, or or what you see in the folks that you work with in the military? H- how has that evolved or changed from, say, like the early '70s to when you were, you know, last working with people, you know, here eight years ago? The military is absolutely professional professionally qualified training leadership and everything else but but I think it's just been used so much and so hard so many rotations and deployments and everything else and I I think we've kind of lost something when we general officers admirals they, they want professional soldiers and sailors airmen and things like that I think we've lost something since the days of national service people who call it the draft I don't want to get drafted I don't want to go Vietnam I don't want to kill people in rice patties and things like that and I think that whole the counterculture movement and political disruption and chaos in the 60s kind of destroyed our, our some of our civic spirit, our duties. Because you look at, you know, I look at older veterans and they have certain political perspectives. Maybe they vote uh, this party or that because they want cohesion and stil- stability and they want tradition. And who doesn't want that? And people don't want to be told, well, you have to do things a certain way. I think sometimes when we talk to your candidate talk to voters they say you know what's what's your what are your concerns or what are your your fears and things like that instead of, instead of telling them you got to do a b and c maybe say not necessarily give me all your grievances but what are your concerns you know i want to go back to when america was was great like this you know and one of my uncles said the good old days weren't always so great we didn't have running water we didn't have all these modern conveniences. We didn't have modern technology. This is one of my uncles who had to had to take care of a team of horses every day. And then he grew up into trucks and tractors and things like that. And then he served, he served in World War II. We absolutely, and this is a human instinct, right? I mean, psychological effect that can be shown, right, is that, you know, the rose-colored glasses effect, right? You, you view things as better than they were. And I think it's very easy to take things out of the context you know i i hear people that will you know say things off the cuff like things have never been worse right i can't imagine growing up today and i i think to myself what is your guidepost for for what it means to be worse or i can't imagine growing up now i've used this quite a bit because it's just so striking to me that in 1900, one in five children died before the age of five years old. One in five, 20% were dead before five. That you look at the things you're talking about, clean water, right, was running water, was a luxury. These things that we take for granted every day are something that is very rare in the history of humanity. And... I try to get that across because, boy, when if you take for granted the fact that the trash gets picked up every Friday, right? You've got a car. You've got a warm place to sleep that's safe. Clothing. You've got a meal every day. You're really taking for granted what all humans spent like 98% of their time doing for 98% of our time on Earth. And, and it's it's almost one of these, I've heard this term that it's the decadent society about the United States, right? That things, all, all our kind of Maslow's hierarchy needs yeah, I know what you're saying. Are, are met to an extent that 
it has bred this belief that these things have been are universally available today first off which is completely inaccurate right i mean in, in many parts of the world right clean water electricity you know safety from from warfare right are not something that can be taken for granted and also in our history as a country these things have taken generation after generation of civically engaged hard-working forward-looking innovative people driving these things it's not like this just happened by you know some kind of inevitable force that was pushing us forward into modernity it's millions of great minds coming together and cooperating and showing empathy and i really encourage our listeners to to in your day-to-day lives i'm not saying i wake up every day and say oh man i'm in a bed thank you you know Thank you, God. This is a great day that I started out in a bed and I'm warm. I'd like to say there, by the grace of God, go I. Because any of us could be one one breakdown away. I mean, I'm I'm blessed. I, I you know, I've earned my things. I've done you know, great family things like that. But there, by the grace of God, go I. I. I like to think of that all the time. Because so other, I tell that to other people. You know, that person could be one car. I can't get the car payment done. Car breaks down. No apartment. You know, they, they could be on the street too. And I think that that is that it's that lack of gratitude and the lack of contextualizing and understanding what has gone into creating this community here, this country here, that leads to contempt is that folks fundamentally believe that, you know, if all these idiots and I don't care what side you look at it from the left, the right, the middle, there's this mentality that if all these idiots would just do what's so clearly you know, what needs to be done, we could be doing great. Look, if we go back in time, a lot of things that were really terrible, right? I mean, segregation, civil war, diseases, things have gotten better. And if we don't acknowledge that as a people, as Americans, you you will start to have this breakdown in our ability to see each other as as a common nation and 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 you know i mean whatever phrase you want to use right like you know house divided cannot stand right like this is a a well-trodden path and i i think the only thing that we're really kind of missing in this whole story right is that sense of gratitude and and i hear so many people that are armchair quarterbacks right i could tell you a million things that I think are wrong with any organization, any person, that's not worth anything. It's all about what can I do to add something valuable to this world? What can I give back to my community that is how we're going to move forward? Not criticizing someone for their viewpoint on X, Y, and Z issues and demonizing them and dehumanizing them. And I want to get to you and your experience in the military, how much of a role and how do they kind of keep cohesion that I, to my knowledge, right, they never had everyone that, that, that they had a unit that said, look, we got a lot of Republicans here. Look, we got a lot of Democrats. I don't think we can deploy together. No, I've never seen that over my years. When I first time I 
got in the military late 70s, there was a lot of chaos in the military. There were some racial divides and so forth. Volunteer, you had you know, officers when they were over in Germany over there doing the staff duty officer. They, they were armed with you know, armed 45 walking around. This is like mid-70s when you had turmoil, social turmoil, racial turmoil. But eventually that sorted out. And, and that's the first time I actually met African Americans and Puerto Ricans and Mexican Americans because I came from a an insulated, you know, middle class community in Garden City, Long Island, class of like 495 in my high school class, but we didn't, I, remember, I don't, rarely saw any African Americans in my class. We were just basically insulated, but then you, you get exposed, so you have to have empathy because these are, these are the people you have to lead. And I can't, uh, you know, I was raised in an Eisenhower Republican household, which is, and maybe that's not uh, the typical characteristic now for some of it so it's different fractured things but I, and I gotta say something about I think we've always had this urban rural thing in America if you want to go back to have you ever read Dick Tuckville the, the Frenchman who came here and he wrote about that, that I like reading about that because he he hits on so many things it's too complicated to talk about now but but back to the the military you got to get a job done you got you got you got a task you have a purpose you got to focus on that and, and, and leadership, my definite leadership, is the ability to motivate people to solve problems together, work as a team, and communicate. Just those simple things. And, and leadership by example. You know, do as I do, not do as I tell you. And set the example. You know, provide information in a timely manner. Make sure you coordinate your team. Make sure they're trained properly. There's about 11 leadership principles. I'm not going to recite them all, but those are just some of the basics. And so when when those got applied in the military and you say, you know, you could kind of see the the racial tension get lowered, right, The in the military, right, can, can you kind of put your finger on things that you think, you know, both happening kind of bottom up, right, changes in, in belief systems amongst the, 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 the soldiers, right, and also some things maybe that may have been done, you know, at the, at the command structure that you think might have eased that tension? Uh, I think a lot of things like in the Army and the Navy and so forth changed like 1980. We're coming out of the Vietnam funk. I'll just say that. And the generals wanted to, we got to put Vietnam behind us. we got to focus on training a new military, professional military, you know, all volunteer. So by the early 80s, Ronald Reagan was president. We had the funding, everybody. Uh, foreign national security, arguments about that stopped at the water's edge. Maybe not so much now, but when it came, you know, domestic politics, you can debate squabble, but when it came to foreign policy and national security, the debate stopped at the water's edge. And, that, and I think we did pretty well in the 80s, but we had uh, better leadership training, better values. Uh, we got equipment, we got uniforms, we had all those material things. But you still have to have the right attitudes because the soldiers, the generals of the 80s were the captains and majors in Vietnam, and they saw... How things didn't go right there for various political reasons and so forth, but we had a much better focus in the 80s. That's one of the things I observed. Yeah, and I really want to also touch on, because I think there is this element of, I always joke, right, that people don't understand that resentments are luxuries. And I've said that a lot recently, that if you're able to hold something against somebody, that means you have some kind of power or you have mental time to spend on a fruitless uh, endeavor, right, which is just 
being upset and and hating someone for something that happened in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think that part of what I see going on here in our country, right, is a kind of lack of purpose writ large. And and I've I've seen some great research on, you know, we'd always been a what they would term a, a frontier society, right? And so first you had the geographic frontier, and that kept this kind of belief in in a in a progress right and and we're continually but but much more so not just manifest destiny of the land but a belief that brighter days were always ahead and that we were going to always explore the next frontier and they talk about this this author talks about the end of the space race right was the last thing right i remember the space race very very well in the 60s my dad was involved in it electrical engineer designing radars for like the Mercury capsules and things like that. I met Neil Armstrong in the 70s, so I can say, and he was a Purdue graduate too, so I'd, I've always, and you've heard me talk about this at board meetings, the, the Apollo mission, you know, Mercury, Gemini, yeah. I, I love what, what, we, what we do with space and American uh, technology, not necessarily supremacy, but American teamwork, how Apollo 13, who else could do that and bring, bring Lovell and his team home safely? Yeah, and I I don't know how to put my finger on it about there does just seem to be this loss of confidence. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, you look at it materially, right? I mean, you look at our economic wealth, right? You look at military. On on any kind of objective criteria, you would look at it and say, why is everyone so depressed in the United States? Why Why is everyone so gloomy about the future? And... The only thing that I've been able to come up with is we have a utopian image of what humanity can be. We reflect on ourselves and we see this yawning gap and say there's nothing good to look at here. Maybe too much Star Trek. Yeah, and then it's also it's just easier to sit around and complain Mm -hmm. because when, when you're the complainer, you don't have to hold yourself accountable for what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And I don't know how to kind of get us out of what I'm hoping, right, is sort of a temporary malaise as a people, but something that you touched on, and I just want, I don't know if you've ever thought about this in, in a kind of active sense, but is some type of universal public service. Mm-hmm. National service. And it's been kicked around before. If you don't want to join the regular army, you can go join the the reserves or National Guard, or you can be in the Civilian Conservation Corps or Youth Corps, some, some way to, to earn your educational benefits. You know, you're, there are groups saying, well, people shouldn't get free money to go to college. Right, let them earn it. Different ways to do it. Some people maybe not be motivated to go into the military. Maybe they want to be reservists or, or do some kind of... Uh, but then people will say, wow, you're just creating a, a nanny state and all these young kids are going to do this and they're going to be babysitters. Or, and we had the Civilian Conservation Corps in the 1930s. If people go back and look at the history, go all the way back Teddy Roosevelt, one of my favorite presidents. I, I adore Teddy Roosevelt, been to Sagamore Hill. Grew up with that. My first Boy Scout hike was a 10-mile hike to Sagamore Hill to see Teddy Roosevelt's home in Oyster Bay. But Teddy Roosevelt said, yeah, do what you can with what you have from where you are. He, he had a lot of great quotes. And later after he was president, he talked about the malefactors of great wealth because he was a trust buster. 
you know, and, and look at all, there was staggering poverty when he was president. You know, you said like 1901, 1902, there wasn't any health care, there was no Medicare, Medicaid, no Social Security, but he had can-do attitude. And, and I just love the way his attitude, you know, he was the, um, I'm trying to think, uh, the, the strenuous life he promoted. And, and he built himself up. He was, had asthma, went to Harvard, boxed, you know, went out west in the 1880s. People know the story. And then he came back and, you know, and instead of saying, charge up the hellboys, he'd say, hasten forward, men. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah he still had a regal yeah, kind exactly. of. <laughs> that, you know, but he was part of the culture of noblesse oblige. Yeah, if you're if you have all these great blessings, you have an obligation to serve society, and I think we have so many blessings. We're we're materialistically decadent. We're digitally decadent now. Digital decadence. I think you just coined that, Rich. Have you heard that, or is that an original? I heard it from somewhere else. Oh boy, but you should have taken credit. I'm just passing it along. Digital decadence. Yeah, I. So we could do a whole Which cripples our civics episode. I. It is really bizarre to me watching how much the the phone has taken over i don't think it's necessarily so much social media right 24-hour news yes those are all very kind of depersonalizing right that they were each kind of just an atom an atomized person but it's the phone when I think of it, when I think of when things really changed, it's when you brought around this phone and it always is kind of sitting there, right? And it's got your email or your Facebook or your LinkedIn or whatever you're, but it has changed our minds to, to just kind of flitter from one thing to the next and, and never sit, not never, but to struggle to engage with those around us where I'm really sad. And this stuff's cliched, but it's cliched because it was a beautiful part of culture is the waiting room, right? You used to go to the doctor's office. You used to go to the barber shop and you strike up a conversation with somebody. Exactly. I, those don't exist well, anymore. The airport, waiting on a plane, you know. It, I've n never seen, I mean, I think it would be considered rude to be talking now in the lounge because everyone's on their phone doing something else and you're interrupting the... The and digital happens, decadence. You know, it happens in schools and the military. When I when I left being a contractor for War Games uh, 2015, I remember for a few years before, everybody had to put their cell phones in a, in a cubicle, you know, and the guard watches. You couldn't bring all that stuff inside. And then people would rush to get it, and then they'd be getting their message. And this is like, you know, flip phones. When I had a flip phone, my, my daughter said, Dad, you got a dumb phone. you got to get a smartphone. So then she got me a, a Samsung five years ago. So I'm hooked into that, and I got my wife a tablet last year. She's looking at animal things and stuff like that. And I think, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of drawn into ourselves like this, and, it, and it's systemic everywhere. I, that's, I love that we've drawn into ourselves because I do – I talk a lot about the importance of connection and purpose, right, for that's, all that's the radio humans. Now. Yeah, exactly. Talking like people. I mean, this is – you know, is, is FM radio, AM radio, old school, old fashioned? Is it obsolete? You know, I think, I think we have a purpose here. You know, we're, we're this is this is going to be live when you broadcast it. We're also streaming it. Absolutely, and I guess what I just encourage, and I'm hoping that listeners, you know, and by the way, I will say, you know, we're always looking for listener feedback uh, on things that you'd like to have us. People we'd like to have do interview, right? I know Rich would love to have someone come in, you know, that has a great idea, share it with the board, potentially start a show. 
um, that this is truly a public square idea uh, that we're we're really rolling with here. And a lot of it is to have you to know your community, right? And I get that, you know, it's hard sometimes to be going to every engagement and whatnot, but you can kind of tune into KGPR and get a pulse of what different people and, and organizations are doing in our community. Get to the Electron, too. And this, this is a great, so this is a good pivot, Rich. So talk about the Electron. The Electron is a community events platform that is created with, through the vision and determination of David Saslov, one of our underwriters, Rendition Music, and he, he said, we don't have a hot ticket anymore. You know, the Great Falls Tribune is not the, the great paper of the day it used to be. It, you know, it was bought out by Gannett News, and it has local story, but it's not the daily go-to journal everybody used to depend on, reading stories about, you know, background stories about candidates, uh, what's going on Thursday night, Friday night. We don't have a hot ticket anymore, so David said, we got to show people we're not some dead, dying industrial town. So he created this platform, and we had a, a, a launch today, um, as of today, uh, and we invited the chambers to show you can people can go on there and put their events on it, what's happening. Besides public service, we love to have public service announcements on public radio. To let, you know, We don't podcast those, but we want to get those on the air. But if you can't get that done, go to the Electron. You, you can, there's like 30 different categories from live music, civic events, theater, all kinds of things. Go check out the Electron uh, at kgpr.org. But that's another way to reach out to the community, get involved with things. And the Rotary Club, um, scouting, uh, Ludafisk dinners, uh, what you do, for Alliance for Youth. All these, there's a whole slew of things you can get involved with. Anybody that says that there's nothing going on in Great Falls just fundamentally lacks uh, intention or, or curiosity and, and because it's not hard. It's starting to thrive again. It's not like when I when I was a kid, Central Avenue going the Paris stores and and all the big stores on in Great Falls on Central Avenue and the the bars and the nightlife. I remember that as a kid in the '60s, and it's, it's not, never going to be like that again. But there are, are different ways to engage with the community. Oh, and there's a vibrancy downtown. This is from someone that I just moved here in 2017. And I'll say that having lived in D.C., having lived in Memphis, having lived in St. Louis and big cities, downtown, this is a, a, a medium city, right? This is 60,000 people. You're not going to ever have the critical mass and density to have, you know, some just out of this world nightlife, restaurant, extraordinary, everything. But I'm telling you what, if you want to have a fun time on a Friday night with your family, with your loved, you know, with your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, whoever it is, there are a lot of things. You can paint a picture, go sample the best wines, the best whiskeys, all kinds of different food. Whatever you're into, there is a place. You can go shop local. There's great stores in there. If you can't find what you want, you can create it. And and so you, I do you fill the vacuum. So I'm inviting people to do that as well. Absolutely, and and God bless all those entrepreneurs that have stepped up and and done that with their their lives and with their pocketbooks. And uh, you know, I, I Kelly Pierce and the Downtown Association. There are so many groups that have come together in that collective spirit of of building something greater than ourselves together, and and. 
they're a shiny example of what you can do with grit, commitment, and collaboration. Right, I, like, I like that word, grit. We need grit. That, that's what really counts for people, you know, the movie True Grit. Grit does matter. You know, you probably heard it out of Missouri culture, right? Grit, yeah, that Thomas, he's got grit. You know, he's got sand. You know, and, 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 it, and it means something. We have, we have a butcher store on Central now. You know, what was that, the locker room terminal? Central the, Avenue Meats. That, that's it. And I'm a cattle rancher. I say that's tremendous. You know, we want more more food available for local. You know, uh, we got farmer's markets. I used, 20 years ago, my wife and I used to sell meat at the farmer's market. And I think, you know, and has and locker, locker beef and stuff like that. Absolutely. And I think the message that, because I want to move on to the vet, Veterans Day stuff right. coming up, but I, I think the takeaway message that hopefully we're, we're leaving is if you find yourself at home and, you know, you're watching the news, you're watching things that are keeping you isolated, keeping you at home, and you're looking at the TV. Yeah. You can choose to live that life. And, and say Great Falls is a dead town, it's a dying town, there's nothing going on, the world's bad. That's not going to change your life. It's not going to change anything for the better. I highly recommend you take an alternative approach and just go up and walk down Central Ave sometime, right, on an evening. Go walk down First Ave North. Go see what's out there. Get out, experience the world Shoot, I was at the Great Falls Public Library today. They've got book clubs. You could start a book club. They have book club kits. Basically, what I'm getting at is that I think we have this collective tendency now to just almost want things to be bleak, right? Like you're searching for something that, you know, confirms all your beliefs that this is a bad place and a bad country where I fundamentally believe what people need to re-examine is their prism, right? I can't stress enough in my experience, those are so many I know around me, it's, it's you, right? You don't, none of us see the world as it is in any objective, meaningful sense. We see it as we are. And I just encourage people to turn off the constant stream, whether it's you're getting it through social media or, you know, those friends that just love to tell you how everything is terrible, tune out of that, at least for a little bit. Get out into your community. Go downtown. Have a nice dinner, you know, with a friend, a loved one. Get out. Go to the library. Go engage with people, and I, you will find your outlook on Great Falls. You will find your outlook on this country that your world fundamentally changes it's going to change your lens and I, i've heard what you say about great falls one of the greatest places you've ever ever lived like you've been in st louis i've been in big cities i've been in seoul i lived in new york city i mean all these the great falls has a lot of great qualities one of the best kept secrets of montana great falls well i, I just you know, people get down on great falls ah, it's not like bozeman or missoula or so what we don't have to be like them we have our own character. Oh, I always say us trying to out Bozeman, Bozeman, or Missoula mm -hmm. is fun. You're never going to get there. Right. Look, this is a town that is about family, community, right? I, we're just not going to be the hip spot where you go to get the finest cuisine, mm -hmm. you know, and, and get the jazziest cocktails. Now, we've got great stuff, well, right? Everybody wants an Olive Garden. You know? <laughs> but it's one of those things. An Olive Garden may be reasonable. Well, we are maybe reasonable, but 
I, I just don't think life is about or having a good community means that I have a critical mass of trendy restaurants and bars like that that to me is not like oh that's where i want to live i want to have people have housing they can afford i want that's what i want to see in this community yeah it was like that it wasn't like that back in the 60s and 70s when i lived down in cascade county and grateful but you know, we had a different economics ecosystem back then you know we had the smelter we had lots of things going on you know that was driving it and then the then the smelter went away in the 80s so people had to live through the funk you know the, the 80s funk and yet yeah, agriculture was depressed in the 80s, so I had to come out of that, too. So, Yep, and I know the... And the professional military, the air base, the guard, you know, they kind of carry, carried the, the community through that decade. Yep, and we talk a, a lot about how... We've heard all this before, you know. Yeah, but I think it's important for our, it's our listeners, right, yeah. that how important the military is to this city, you know, I think is lost. That because they're kind of off there and at the base, right? And you have the air guard going up on the hill, but they are, you know, I think we have a great now uh, the chamber of commerce, the military affairs committee. I know the Mac yeah. does a wonderful job of, of really standing up for our, our airmen and you know, our, our guardsmen and and making sure that they feel integrated and welcome. But you know, I, I always say in my interactions with airmen, they've mostly been out here serving, right? So they, they'll volunteer all over at Alliance for Youth, all these places, right? And I do think just our community needs to be cognizant, right, of that a lot of these guys are 19, 20, they're far from home, didn't always have the best backgrounds. You know, this is a difficult role that they're doing. You know, they're missileers, they're garden stuff. This is nuclear weapons. It's heavy. And, you know, just as a community, we, they bring a lot of energy here, right? And there are a lot of youthful, uh, very service-minded people. And that we just need to be cognizant of ways that we can ensure that, you know, we fully bring them in, so to speak. Well, well I see them all the time at ceremonies, Thomas. You know, Veterans Day, Memorial Day. I see the Honor Guard all the time. Young people, you know, I always talk to them. Who's, who's in charge here? Who's the NCOIC? And it's usually some E4 young gal said are you in charge well i don't know well you're in charge take charge you know and thanks for being here and uh, and with the montana veterans memorial we always try to write certificates of appreciation for them so i see the chaplain come out I see, but these are the young air, airmen the men and women who volunteer for the honor guard which is all voluntary they don't get paid extra for being at a ceremony they just do it out of a sense of duty and participation and then Hopefully they'll get something from that. Maybe they'll be have a military career. But I tell them, you've all served. You've all done your time. So, so let's get in. Answer me this. What does Veterans Day mean to you? Veterans Day, well, just to have the distinction between Memorial Day, we memorialize all those who have fallen, usually in military service, but also personal, you know, memories of your, your family, things like that. But mostly it's focused on the military fall. Veterans Day is to honor all the veterans. And we're not honoring the wars, we're honoring the veterans who participated in those actions. Veterans in peace, veterans in war, whether you're in the reserve, active, male or female, doesn't matter. That's everyone that served in the armed forces of the United States. If you raised your right hand, took oath of enlistment, I'll support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign, domestic, and obey all the orders of the commander-in-chief appointed over me. You qualify. Right. So that's that's how I judge it. So. And how does, you know, how are things celebrated at the Montana Veterans Memorial? And before you do, do that, talk a little bit about how this all came about. 
Well, Mike Winters and uh, Harry Keith, who was a Air Guard senior sergeant, uh, I, I believe they had a vision in late, like around 1999, I said, well, we don't have a Veterans Memorial in Great Falls. What are we going to do about it? And they talked to his wife, Barb, and they went down to Helena and said, they got one down here. What are we doing here? And so nobody, we never had one here. So then they went went searching for a site. Once it was going to be across the river at the Black Eagle, over in Black Eagle where the smelter was, and then now can't do it over there. Then they did, did it where it is now, over by the golf course and the baseball stadium on that knoll. And by the way, Blackjack Pershing, when he's a young lieutenant, him and his troop of African Americans camped there once on that site. And that was out of Fort Assiniboine up near Haver. But that's that's uh, where the site is. So maybe that's, that's the touchstone of history there. But that's that's the site we started in 2003. I remember we put the shovel to the ground. Roger McConnell and Mike Winters and so many other people in the community, we got it done. And by 2004, Dwayne Nelson, Dwayne, yeah, Dwayne Nelson did the engineering. 2005, we got Red Horse active, Red Horse active. Uh, we got the National Guard Red Horse and the Navy CBs. And I, as an Army Reserve Colonel, helped coordinate that. And they helped contribute all the labor to build that. And we dedicate in 2006. Yeah, and it's quite impressive. If if you're you know living in Great Falls, you haven't been up there, it's right off a of River Drive. I mean, it's not hard. General Mills. Miles, and now we're up to like 8,500. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so what, what are the t- uh, tiles commemorating? The tiles are, the tiles recognize all veterans for their service. You don't have to be dead to be up there. I mean, it's living and deceased, active duty, reserve, National Guard, uh, male and female, doesn't matter what ethnic background. In fact, we have like we probably have maybe six, seven hundred of just the Blackfeet Nation alone. A special section on the on the east wall, I think, and they've come down there. I've earned I've I've earned the right to have a Native Warrior name. Oh wow! And, uh, Mountain Eagle. Mike Winters is a, a Brave Eagle, I think, or something like that. They they honored us. Yeah, us non-Native Americans. We were honored at ceremonies uh, for what we've done with them, and we're always honored to feature the Blackfeet Warriors in there because. You know, Native Americans weren't citizens till the mid-1920s. Absolutely. But they still served in the ranks in World War One, and prior to that, it's just inconceivable. I was never taught that in the standard history class I took in junior high. And Native Americans serve in the military at, at a higher proportion than most other groups. Exactly. And so do other, other you know, African Americans, Puerto Rican Americans, and so forth. Yeah, they're 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 contributing to you know over 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 many decades of service. You know, fighting through segregation. You know, Harry Truman, fellow Missourian, he his courage to to unify the armed forces into one service to get rid of segregation. Uh, that was powerful. Absolutely, and so we've got you know Veterans Day coming up in in, in just a few days now, right on Saturday, and. Uh, what is going to be the ceremony on that day, on the 11th? It'll be, it's always 11, 11, 11. It reminds people of the 11th hour, the 11th day, the 11th month, when the armistice was signed to terminate or, or establish peace, the armistice in World War One. I. I tell 11, 11, 11. It's always 11 o'clock, the 11th day, the 11th month. So, And we'll be at the Veterans Memorial, hopefully outside, but the weather is not conducive will be in the lobby of Centene Stadium. Roger Hagen uh, will be guest speakers, chief uh, senior master sergeant air guard, does a lot of work in American Legion, former representative 
Uh, he'll be guest speaker. We're going to have a dog. Uh, we're going to have a dog tag buddies there. A team from the dog tag buddies. Those are service dog teams that help with veterans with PTSD. And also, we're going to have a canine team from the Malmstrom Air Force Base crew there as well. And then we'll have bagpipes, Jesse Callender, Eric Peterson, our own Eric Peterson. He's going to play taps. He's going to video everything, do a live broadcast with Matt Donnelly. He'll be in the studio here. It's all teamwork to get that done. We'll have Sounds of the Falls doing the national anthem um, and, and another patriotic song. Um, we'll have invocation, benediction, presentation of the colors, usually by those young airmen, airmen and women who may be from different parts of America coming to Great Falls, Montana, like my aunt did in the 1950s, and that's where my story began. So I have to ask this. Do you have a, uh, a brick at the memorial? Yes. Okay. I'm in panel number one. Are you panel number one, I'm in panel brick number one? one? Panel number one at the bottom, along with the rest of the uh, Montana Veterans Memorial team. We're basically on panel one, Mike Winters and Dave Bissonnette, who passed away, and, and so many others are on panel one. That's who usually most of the, the founders are. And, and something that I, so if people want to get a, a brick, how do they go about doing that? Go to our website. It's $250 for a Montana granite tile. And those who order it now will probably have it set up. Well, I'm sure we'll have it set up for next Memorial Day. Uh, you call the phone number. I think I'm, it's on the website. Um, call the phone number. Mike Winters and the team will send you an actual in-the-mail application. You fill it out. Mail it back with your check, and we'll take care of it. And the you fill out the form, like who the service member is, and, and we do our best to try to put family members together. I think the most, the highest number of family members we put together is like eight tiles together. Very cool. Uh -huh. So I think this is, is a civilian that, that never served in the armed forces, right? Want to honor the service, right? I, it, it fundamentally, I think, is incomprehensible, you know, what it really means to go out knowingly put your life on the line know that you could have to take another life right um there's just something uh is outside of the realm of of any kind of day-to-day -day experience you could have um do, when that's massed right, right that there's thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people coming to some geographic location with the specific purpose of trying to kill each other mm -hmm. uh it it's boggles my mind i think something that i i struggle with that i wanted to ask you is for the non-veteran right how can you you know are there do's and don'ts of how you can honor veterans without kind of seeming you know flippant here's something i encounter all the time they say thank you for your service i said i appreciate that but then i ask them back said who in your family has been in the service see where i'm taking this Oh, you know, my grandpa or my dad. Yeah, he, so I take I take the conversation back to them to reflect on them and say, if you want to honor them, you can get them a tile. Or just remember their service. You don't thank me. Thank somebody in your family. So I, I, I return the favor back to them. I like that. Are there any don'ts that you would say, you know, you'll have happen and you're like, I really wish that hadn't have transpired? Not really. I, I, I don't focus on the negative. So, but, I, but that's the conversation I like to turn around. Turn it back to the, the person asking me, thanking you for the service. It could be somebody at Arby's, somebody at the gas station. You know, and I turn it back to them. And I said, who in your family has been in the service? And that gets them thinking. So, Wow. 
Yeah, so even on Veterans Day, you're thinking of the other veteran that might be in their family or their circle. And I say, oh, yeah, he was serving in World War II, or he was in Vietnam, I think. Well, think about him more, and you talk to him. And remember him. And then, yeah, and then are you engaged in a in a more formal way throughout the year, you know, outside of the memorial in, in veterans, uh, you know, organizations? Yeah, well, American Legion, uh, Veterans Stand Down, you know, by Vets for Vets to Stand Down. We've, we've done 18 of them so far. Uh, KGPR goes there, and we record what's going on there, too. Like, things are coming along that you know about the Grace Home. Now we have Grace Haven coming on. So I've talked to Angela from Grace Haven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have her on Point Radio, and uh, I told her to send us our PSAs, and they're working to build up Grace Haven for, for women and their families, homeless women and homeless families who are military-affiliated. Absolutely, and I want to, for our listeners, if you're not familiar with uh, those two, the Grace Home is for male veterans, transitional living, uh, and I think they have, you know, about 15 uh, gentlemen there right now, so it, right. it's serving a lot of folks, right? Started out with 10, maybe it's 15 now, but I remember Roger McConnell, who started On Point Veterans Radio, he got me involved in public radio. Roger passed away in 2015, and he had pulmonary fibrosis, but he was a, a true believer in public radio and, and helping veterans, and uh, he was one of my, he was my wingman in the Veteran Memorial. We did everything together. He uh, set up ceremonies, but he passed away. But that's how I got to KGPR to volunteer on the board and carry on the mission for On Point. But uh, he was committed to the Grace Home. The library there is dedicated in his honor, the Roger McConnell Memorial Library at Grace Home. And Grace Haven is the next big step. And Grace Haven, just to clarify, is a women veteran exactly. transitional living home. Right. Yep. So hopefully they'll feel that need. Angela Jacala over there, she's working on that. And with Deb Cattell, you know Deb, I'm sure, and they're working on that with St. Vincent de Paul. So that's that's a, another great follow-on mission. So Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so if you're somebody that, that says, I want to do something nice for a vet on Veterans Day, right? You have businesses that right. give free meals or they give a discount, something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're just someone now that's listening to this episode and said, wow, you know, Rich... That touched me, his story of service. I want to do something for a vet. You know, what are your kind of options? Uh, you can contact the Veterans Memorial. Maybe you want to step out and get a get a tile for one of your family members. Yeah, you know, let's get dad a let's get dad a, a tile instead of another fishing pole or something. You know, that, and call your brothers and get together and get a memorial tile for him. Whether he's living or deceased or or maybe make a donation for Grace Home or Grace Haven. You know, different ways. If you don't, if you can't serve, you know, and I think people are kind of, maybe they're kind of uh, disappointed they can't be in the service. You know, with before we had millions of people under arms, men and women, and in the draft age and the the draft era wasn't so great for some things. But maybe if we had some kind of national service, you know, I don't know if we could ever get through the politics of it and and uh, the military industrial complex, the military industrial congressional complex is how. Eisenhower originally phrased it, but he took out the, the word congressional when he did his speech before Congress, his, his farewell speech. Yep. No, I know. He, he edited that out, the Congress, because he didn't want to anger Congress, but he did. The military industrial complex is what Ike talked about. Absolutely. No, he's. He had the, he had the, he had the credibility, a two term president and five star general, so he could say it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of those words ring true, right? Mm-hmm. That there is a lot of money to be made in warfare yes that, that is that is the tragic side of it so. 
and that there's always been, you know, you talk about war profiteers and everything, yeah. but it's almost in every human endeavor, right? I don't think that's necessarily a I mean, war profiteers in the Revolutionary War. Absolutely. I, George Washington Valley Forge, you couldn't get uh, food for his troops because they were selling the food to the British. And I think that's one of those, you know, recognizing that, you know, so you can have, you know, for-profit prisons and that creates some, some really pernicious incentives, right? You can have companies that depend on selling weapons and that can change your foreign policy potentially, right? That's very pernicious. I've always said that that doesn't then stand as an argument against having a military that's able to secure... Uh, the safety of America and and defend dem- democratic rights around the world, For right? All the downsides, it's still the best. That's I, that's so you know. I love the. I think that's a Winston Churchill, right? Where he's like, democracy is the worst form of government. Yes. Dot dot dot. Compared except for others. all the others. Yes. <laughs> so, Rich, it, it's been wonderful. Um, just getting catching up, hearing about KGPR, your background. Uh, do you have a a, a takeaway, a, a lesson that you? would like to share with our listeners about you know how they can if they've been touched by you something they can do in their life that you've really taken to heart that's made a difference in your life there's so many places i could take that reach out and touch some organization kgpr veterans uh scouting i mean there's so much out there you can get involved with just just try to take a step out of your your world and step into a bigger world and help Perfect. So that's our, our message. Get involved. Be the change you want to see. Right. Something like that. And, and uh, Edmund Burke, you know, Edmund Burke, the greatest tragedy is for somebody to do nothing because they, they thought they could only do a little. Even if you do a little, 10 people do a little thing. The old saying, like, many hands make light work. That's an old farm, farm saying. I got that from my uncle. Many hands make light work. So step out. If there's only one little thing you can do, that's great. Just like in KGPR, as if, if somebody can just be the radio host, that's all we need. You don't have to be a board member. You don't have to do everything else. Just just do that little part, and we'll keep step by step by step. As another farm saying, I don't want to be, you know, trite about it. Like inch by inch, it's a cinch, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe they say that in Missouri. I don't know. Oh, yeah, and, you know, we're the show-me state, which gets at get involved, get out there and do it. Well, that's where my uncles came from. They came up on the steamboat to Fort Benton in the 1880s, and they homesteaded in Cascade County, Eden, Montana. So I'm kind of the uh, the beneficiary of that pioneering spirit. Absolutely, yeah. We'll finish our zero degrees of separation in Montana. Right, exactly. Well, Rich, it, it's been a, an honor and a pleasure having you on. And uh, I encourage all of our listeners, please go out to the Montana Veterans Memorial uh, over there by Centene Stadium at 11 a.m. on November 11th, 11, 11, 11, for the Veterans Day ceremony. You know, have your kids. You can get, you know, some some dogs will be there, which are always fun, right? But have a powerful experience and come together as citizens uh, and honor uh, those that, that served in our armed forces. You can brave the weather. Think about all the sailors on a, on a freezing cold deck, deck of a ship or in a foxhole in Korea or someplace, you know, the Battle of the Bulge or in the hot deserts of Iraq. You know, so many of our veterans now have been in these hot places. So you can you can brave the weather for an hour. So that's all I ask. Yep, absolutely. No, all our daily uh, struggles kind of shrink to Come insignificance. On, out there, Montanans. Step up. <laughs> I love it. I always say, you're Montanans. You can do it. So uh, with that... Uh, you've been listening to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. And that was Richard Liebert, 
who is the president of the Great Falls Public Radio Association, as well as a retired lieutenant colonel in the Army and a rancher and devotee of service to others. Civics. Citizenship. That's, the, that's my focus. Citizenship. Thank you so much, Rich. Thank you.